This is Real Estate Rookie episode 300. But at one point I had a portfolio of 38 doors. What made you decide that you're going to do a short-term rental for this one? It was about getting it to cash flow. I had to change my strategy so many times. So obviously when I first looked at this property, I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I shouldn't even spend any time looking at, is there any other way I can cash flow this property? I went through everything I could think of and I finally figured out a way I can make it cash flow and bring in $8,000 a month. My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today is a special episode because it's episode 300. Uh, which is insane, right? Yeah. 300 episodes. I Man, like it, I feel like time has flown. Yeah, it really has. 100? Wow. So we want to bring someone kind of cool and special for today's episode. So we, uh, we thought it might be cool to bring someone who isn't necessarily a rookie, but is kind of a rookie because they're starting over. They started over. They started yeah. over. So we brought uh, Rachel Richard. Some of you may know her as Money Honey Rachel on Instagram. Uh, she's a best-selling author. She's got two really successful books on Amazon and all these other places. Um, but she's she's got a, an interesting story because after building her portfolio up to like 30 some odd units, yeah. um, she got a divorce, uh, had to liquidate pretty much everything she had. And she's in the process now of, of rebuilding her real estate business. And we brought her on today to kind of talk about that journey. So she starts out with a, a house hack and talking about how she's had to change her strategy, going through almost a $200,000 remodel. Um, so just great advice and just interesting to hear her mindset of having to start all over again, too. So before we bring uh, Rachel on, uh, as you guys can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, Tony and I are live in person, in person. in Denver here, where Rachel is based out of. Uh, she is a nomad, so not here all the time, but um, we thought it'd be fun to do a couple live interviews here. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, 
allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you both. Yeah. I have been a real estate investor for a long time, so I'm not a rookie real estate investor. The deal we're going to talk about today is very rookie for me. Um, But at one point, I had a portfolio of 38 doors, and I scaled my portfolio from zero to 38 doors in under three years, and I was able to quit my job and retire, which I say in air quotes, which we can talk about, uh, by the age of 27. And I was making $20,000 a month in passive income by then. I'm also a former financial advisor and a two times bestselling author. So that is me in a nutshell. It sounds very impressive, but I don't I know what I'm doing. I'm nonchalant with a super impressive resume. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. I can't cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, just real quick for the listeners, you were at episode 454 on the Real Estate Podcast. You also had two episodes on the Money Show, 317 and 364. So, Folks want to get like really deep into uh, Rachel's backstory, go check her out on the uh, real estate or the money podcast. I just want to say very impressive eyesight, Tony, that you can reach. I did have to blow it up. It's like a 150 right now for, for me to see my uh, but but Rachel, so you 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 have this alter ego. I don't know if it's alter ego is a good name, but you have a, a nickname or I don't know your your handle, Money Honey Rachel. Um, so you've got books under that title that you on Instagram. I'm I'm just curious, like how how'd you come up with Money Honey Rachel? Yeah, good question, Tony. I published my first book in 2017, and it's called Money Honey. And the name just stuck, whether I liked it or not. I like it. I think it's cute and catchy. So that's what I'm known as now when people call me that. And (laughs) and that's what it's become. And so I have this platform on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And that is my business name. (laughs) Love it. So let's just talk a little bit about your beginning to start the first 38 doors. So you said what you're doing now is you feel rookie at that. So the 38 doors, were they long-term rentals, short-term rentals kind of give us a glimpse of what kind of investing you did and then what happened. Yeah, for sure. And and what I did to build up those 38 doors, uh, it was a mutual effort between me and my ex-husband. So in the past year, I got a divorce and I talk a lot about that on my money episode, which was 364. So if anyone wants to see me cry, that was really a good episode. I, I really shared a lot and I think that was a great episode. Um, but I did that with my ex and we were partners financially. We both contributed 50-50 and in terms of making an effort to build up that portfolio. So a couple of them were single family houses. We had a duplex, but most of that portfolio was boarding houses. So we had three buildings that were 11 to 12 units per building, and it was a rent by the room model. So we had 11 to 12 tenants in each building where they were renting out individual bedrooms. And we furnished the whole building. We paid for all the utilities, um, but that was the majority of our portfolio. And I talk a lot about that in the real estate 
podcast. So these boarding houses, have we ever like talked about boarding houses mm-hmm. at all? Uh, we've had people rent by the room, but not at that scale. Yeah. So are these like almost you're buying it as a boarding house or were you taking properties and kind of transforming them into this model? We found them on the MLS listed that way. And I saw the cash flow and I was like, that must be a mistake, a typo, right? <laughs> um, but we we saw them and we learned about what they were and we bought them that way. And we learned from the sellers how they were operating them and we just did the same thing. So they served us really well. It was a lot of work, not one of the most passive ways to own and operate real estate. And we did end up selling them in 2021 before our divorce, not divorce related um, for a lot of reasons, but we wanted to become more passive real estate investors. So my portfolio has changed a lot over the years. Yeah. Were you um, managing, self-managing these or did you have a property management company? We went back and forth. We tried both things. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot. When we got to 27 doors, we hired property managers and some were good and some were awful and stole a lot of money from us, wow. which I share that story on the real estate show as well. <laughs> wow. So we, we might have to bring you back, just like talk about the boarding house model, yeah. because I think sure. it is a, a really creative way to maximize cash flow without necessarily having a bunch of doors. But obviously there's some pitfalls that we we might want to talk about so our, our rookie audience doesn't make the same mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So you you go through this whole journey, Rachel, of, of building up this this big portfolio, um, and then through the divorce, you have to uh, like liquidate all of it, or do you have any of it left, or, or are you starting from scratch? Just kind of give us the the post divorce. Yeah. So through the divorce last year, um, we had agreed to sell a couple of our houses, and he walked away with one uh, single family sober living model in Denver. Mm-hmm. And we both moved from Kentucky to Denver um, a few years ago. And then I walked away with one duplex in Louisville, Kentucky, and we kind of sold the rest of what we had. So it was funny because my whole story was, here's how to go from zero to 38 doors in under three years. And then it was like, here's how to go from 38 doors to two doors in <laughs> under three years. Follow me for more real estate. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <Get it. laughs> So then I felt like, oh, my gosh, I feel like all my credibility has gone out the window because now I only have two doors. But of course, that's not the case because I achieved what I achieved and that's not going away. And those Uh, are deals done. Yeah. So like as your portfolio changes, you still did those deals. It it doesn't matter what your unit count is. Yeah, exactly. So I had two doors for a while, just that duplex. um, And I was a nomad for a long time. So once the divorce happened last year, I bought a, a one-way ticket to Italy and I had my eat, pray, love, love, love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, bye. Yeah. Um, I traveled all last year, but uh, you know, eventually I wanted to have a place in Denver because this is my home and where I want to have a home base. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started thinking about how can I buy a property where I can come in and out of, but still can be a good investment property for me and bring me some cash flow. So that's when I started thinking about doing my first house hack. And it's so ironic that I've done so many properties and I've never done a house hack before. Mm -hmm. But that's where I started thinking about buying a multifamily property in Denver that I could live in one unit and rent out the others because it is so expensive to live here now. Properties are expensive. Rent is expensive. um, And that's when I started looking for this property that I now have and have renovated. I want to get into the property. Just before we do, Rachel, just did you... You kind of had to reset, right? And uh, different people for different reasons might have to reset also, right? Where they, the, if they get started and something stops them, they have to start all over. At any point, did you feel like it 
it wasn't worth starting over on the real estate investing side? Like, did you have that discussion with yourself? Like, is it even is it even worth my time and energy trying to build this portfolio back up again? 100%. The divorce was really discouraging because there was a lot of legal battle and it unfortunately was not amicable. And I share a lot about that in the money episode, not to keep referring to other episodes, but <laughs> we could we could talk all day. Right. It was very discouraging because I, I felt I lost a lot. And I was I was angry just for the fact that I was like, I've already done all this. And now I feel like I have to start all over again and build it back up. And the first time I did it, I had a partner. And there's a lot of comfort in having someone alongside you to do this. Totally. We have a Miller Moth attacking us. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot of comfort in that. And I think it takes away some fear because you know you're not doing it yourself. Yeah, that's security. Yes, exactly. Like it's it's on you and another person now. If you mess up, at least you're messing up together. And now when I was ha- looking at doing all this again, I was like, oh my gosh, it just made me feel exhausted even from the beginning. But I knew I at least wanted a place for myself and it was scary because now this was going to be the first property I ever bought by myself with my own money without having a partner by my side. And I felt very alone in that, but it didn't stop me. I I had more fear, but I also had some confidence because I had bought so many rental properties before. So was the motivation really just to, yeah, I just talk me through the motivation. Like, was it that you wanted to build it back up to where it was before or just to kind of have this one thing for yourself? Like what, what was the driving force for you? I think there was two. And if you had asked me six months ago, I had a different goal back then. I was like, well, I at least want to build back up to having 10 doors. Mm -hmm. But I think that was driven by this feeling that I needed to have this credibility. Mm -hmm. And I I think it came from sort of a lack of self-esteem and a lack of self-confidence just from this platform I built and this business I built. for other people. Yes. It was like I felt other people had this expectation of me. So it's like, I need 10 doors. I don't know where that number came from. Um, so it was partially that, and then it was partially, I did want to have a house in Denver, a place for myself and house hacking a multifamily made the most sense to me logically. So that is where it came from. Now that I have purchased this house hack that we're about to talk about, I'm like, I don't need to have 10 doors. That's silly. Why do something? Cause now I'm recognizing it was about other people and not about me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I've spent a lot of time building back up my self-confidence after what happened last year. So I feel very credible. I feel like I've done what I've done. And if people look at me and they think that six doors isn't enough, then they're not my people. And that's okay. I love that. And just like in general, I think people get so caught up in like unit count. Yeah. And that's like a, it's like a vanity metric, you know, it's like people could have, you could have a, you know, maybe a hundred doors, but maybe you're, what if you're not even profitable on those hundred, (laughs) you know? Exactly. It's, it's easy, not easy. Maybe that's not the right word, but it's easy to buy 20 doors in a year, but you could buy 20 really bad doors and be losing money. And that's not what I've ever wanted to do. And yeah, and somebody else could have bought three doors and cash flowing the same amount as you. Exactly. Or someone could be, I'm cash flowing $5,000, but they also put a 50% down payment on the property (laughs) too. You know, like how you're leveraging the property plays a big role into it. Yeah. And I think I used to be like that, driven from a lack of self esteem and I would go to meetups and you know we go to meetups and people are like well how many doors do you own and it's like yeah. well it, do- it doesn't matter yeah. I want to know who you are as a person and I used to lead with that too like I'm so and so but it came from a lack of self-confidence and now I- it doesn't matter to me I want to know who you are as a person yeah do you and even know what your exact door count is right now we're no yeah we're- and I I don't either because 
it like it changes. Yeah, you know, but it's it's not I don't ca- something I, don't I need it. to remember. In my yeah. yeah, we're like twenty and some change. We're yeah. we're like over thirty if you include like all our rehabs and stuff. But I think yeah. we have twenty six active Airbnbs yeah. right now. You know, well, and when limited partners who invest in syndication say. I own a thousand sixty-four dollars. Yeah. I like, think that's one of the most really misleading. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? I could say that, and technically, I own fifteen hundred dollars or right. something. But that's because I'm a, a limited partner in ten syndications, yeah. so that doesn't count. Yeah, and that's also your percentage in the ownership. Like some yeah. of my properties, I only own fifty percent. Yeah, and then you know, yeah. it's not even the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, but I, th- I think it's an important point for our our rookies to understand because I, so often it can be discouraging if you're trying to. I don't know, like live up to other people's expectations or you're you're looking at someone else you're like, oh, this person has so many more doors than I do. Like, am I doing it the wrong way? And I even struggle with that. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, we, we know Brandon, we know AJ, we know Taro, we know like all of these people, James, right, that have these massive businesses. And you you kind of discourage yourself because like, man, I'm not where, where they are, but you have to realize you're you're running your own race. You guys have your own goals, your own objectives. And, and it's easier to, I think, enjoy the the journey if you're focused on yourself more than everyone else yeah totally yeah cool let's talk about the house hack yeah so how did you find the deal i found the deal so i worked with craig Carlop. he was my realtor he's a very close friend of mine mm-hmm. and the author of that bigger pockets book the house hacking strategy so mm-hmm. shout out to craig he was amazing um but i found it because i wasn't really ready to start looking for properties mm-hmm. and what I teach my students is how to find off-market deals because I think it's really hard to find a good deal on the MLS. It's not impossible, it's just harder. And I think that when you get creative and you look for off-market strategies, that's when you f- you can find really good deals, especially in the last couple of years when the market has been so competitive and so saturated. So that's one of the things I specialize in. But in December, six months ago, when I started looking, I just wasn't really ready to be serious about looking. So I was like, well, Craig, throw me on the MLS, throw me on the search, and I'll just get familiar with what kind of deals are are happening in Denver. So he did. And I found this duplex I really liked in the city that I wanted to live in. And it was kind of the perfect setup, but I didn't take it very seriously. But then it went off market. So the listing expired or something or got canceled. And then I was like, oh, my gosh. So now it's off market. It's not active on the MLS anymore. Maybe I should make an offer now and try to negotiate with the sellers. So let me let me just pause right there, Rachel. How like did you were you just looking at it daily on Zillow? Like how did you know that it expired? Like what did you look at to identify that? I think so. Craig or I noticed that it was there one day, and then it wasn't because we had already flagged it, pending or sold or anything. Yeah, we had already looked at twenty just taking note of it and flagged a few that we were interested in, and then we were like, wait, where did that one go? And then we realized it had gone off market. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was over Christmas break or something like that. And at this point, I was not in Denver. I was in Kentucky. And so he helped have an agent go out and do a virtual showing for me so I could sort of see the property on FaceTime. And it was the perfect setup for what I wanted it to be. And we can talk about that. But it was a side-by-side duplex in the city that I wanted to live in. So we started thinking about how to make an offer. And then I was in Colombia. So then I'm 3,000 miles away in a completely different country. And then that's when we made the offer on the property. Just, what, uh, real quick, what made you feel confident and like, okay, now is the time I'm ready to go ahead and purchase a property? So this property is interesting because it's the worst investment property I've ever bought. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought it on purpose because it wasn't about having this amazing cash on cash ROI property. 
It wasn't about bringing in the most money I could bring in. For me, the main purpose of this property was having a place for me to live and for me to call my own home that no one could claim and no one could take away from me mm-hmm. and that I could have, I could come back to in Denver. And at the same time, I was like, if this could cash flow and offset my living expenses in Denver, that would be amazing. Right. right? Still better for off than somebody who probably went and just bought a single family home. Exactly. Yeah. So that was my goal. If I wanted to keep investing in real estate and have this crazy cash on cash ROI, I would keep buying properties in Kentucky where I was getting 20, 25% cash on cash ROI. Mm-hmm. But I needed a place to house hack in Denver. So that's just to give you the overview of how, how I was thinking about this. That's what I wanted. And I wanted to be in a specific location in a specific city here. So it was the right location. It was the right setup for me to house hack a multifamily. It was just exactly what I wanted. And I wasn't going to let this deal pass me by. Now, at the same time, if I couldn't get this at the right purchase price, I was fully ready to move on. I wasn't going to be emotionally invested in this property. I had all year. This was even earlier than what I was looking. So I was like, if this doesn't work out, no big deal, but let's at least try. So two things I want to circle back on that you said, Rachel. One was something you just said about getting emotionally invested. And I also want to talk about the um, uh, about the expired listings. But for the emotional investment, I feel like that's something that a lot of new investors, I guess sometimes seasoned investors, they get caught up on is like they've spent so much time looking at the photos on Zillow. They've maybe toured it already. They've ran the numbers and they're just like now emotionally attached to this property. And instead of letting the the data and the numbers dictate what purchase price makes sense, now it's all of these feelings that they have about the property. So I love that you said, I've got time. I'm not in a rush. I'm not going to get emotionally attached. And you're going to let the numbers dictate what makes the most sense for you. For sure. You know, this is the exact approach I take to dating right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get attached. Yeah. There's plenty of fish in this. Yeah. You have to have an abundance mindset with Totally. It. If it doesn't work with this one, move on to the next. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I also want to talk about the expired listing piece because, you know, Pace was on and he talked about that being one of his strategies as well, where he said, you know, he'll he'll keep a list of all the properties that he likes and he'll just track them like whatever week over week. And he's just waiting for them to go expired. That way he can reach out to them and pitch them on like creative financing terms. And I think it's something that we don't talk about enough on the podcast is that not everything that gets listed ends up getting sold. And for one reason or another, maybe it's price, maybe it's personal situation, whatever, sellers sometimes pull those listings. And, and those are sometimes the most, um, I think, motivated sellers. So do you know why it came off the market? Was there was it a price issue? Was it like, what, what was the issue with uh, the listing? I believe that the sellers were not getting the offers that they wanted. And it was the end of the, it was winter. So everything's always slower in winter. So they took it off the market and they figured, let's just take it off for a month or so, and we'll relist it in the new year, and maybe they'll get better offers then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about like the the confidence piece, right? Because you you built up all of this experience, scaling your your original portfolio, and now you're you're kind of starting over. So you you weren't a rookie, I think, by most definitions, but you were you were a rookie in this specific situation. So just as you're thinking about this house hack, what were some of the areas where you said, okay, I know this piece, I know how to do this. And then what were some of the areas where you're like, "Mm, I don't really know what's going on on this side? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Tony, because there were definitely areas that I was so confident in. And then there were areas I was like, I have no clue what's going on right now. I don't know what I'm doing at all. And I, I was definitely a complete rookie. So I was confident in finding the deal and having my buy box knowing what I was looking for. 
um, analyzing the numbers. I'm really confident in running the numbers, projecting the numbers. Also, long distance investing. Because I had brought, bought so many properties before, I was confident in being in Columbia, 3,000 miles away and making an offer and coming up with renovation estimates. I wasn't confident in knowing how to come up with renovation estimates, but just doing it from far away. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about that. And having a network of people to verify my numbers, to do things for me when I was gone, to delegate, um, that was something I was confident in. And then in terms of things, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the location. Denver is completely different than Louisville, Kentucky. The price was crazy for me. I mean, I remember thinking, what am I thinking buying an $800,000 duplex? I could buy four properties in Kentucky for that amount of money. So that was really scary for me. Um, The zoning and the permitting around Airbnbs and STRs, that was all new. And I think I made 500 mistakes trying to learn and figure (laughs) that out. And people will point stuff out to me and I'd be like, oh my God, I didn't know that. And it would change things as I was going through the process. Um, This was my first purchase completely by myself with my own money and not partnering up with anybody in any way. My first Airbnb, my first house hack, it was hard to cash flow this property. So I had to get creative. And then the last thing is the scale of this renovation. I had done renovations before on my Kentucky properties, but it was in the twenty dollars to $40,000 range. Mm. This renovation was $200,000 and it was massive. Mm. And that was really scary for me as well. So that's kind of the broad overview of of all the different areas that I was good at and not so good at. With doing uh, long-term rentals for so long for your first portfolio, what made you decide that you're going to do a short-term rental for this one? It was about getting it to cash flow. Mm-hmm. So when I looked at this property, it was a side-by-side duplex and it had a full unfinished basement. And I know we talk a lot about the 1% rule. So the 1% rule is that a property that is listed for $500,000. Ideally, we want it to rent for $5,000 a month. And it could be above that or below that, but that's kind of the guideline we aim for to make sure it's going to be a good investment. Now, this property was first listed for $865,000 by the sellers, and it was just an 800 square foot per unit duplex, two beds, one bath on each side. They And I don't know for sure what they had previously rented it for, but I think I remember them saying like $1,500 per side. Wow. So over $800,000 property mm-hmm. renting for $3,000 per month mm-hmm. when it should have been renting for over $8,000 per month. So obviously when I first looked at this property, I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> and I was like, I, don't, I shouldn't even spend any time looking at this, right? Um, but I have learned as a real estate investor to be more solutions oriented. So it's not, this isn't going to work. It's how could I make this work? And where a lot of investors might just write this off and say, pass and look at the next deal. I did see some potential. So I was like, well, let me take 10 minutes just looking to see if this is worth looking into any further. And because this duplex had a full unfinished basement on both sides, each with a walkout, it walked out outside to an exterior. So there was exterior exits Mm -hmm. to both of these unfinished basements. I thought I could finish out this duplex and turn it into a quadplex. And now I've doubled the ability to rent it out. And what if I furnish it and I do medium term or short term rents? Can I increase the cash flow enough? So I looked at it every way possible. Mm -hmm. I said, could I do four long term tenants? What does that look like? 
could I do medium-term rents? Could I do short-term rents? Could I do rent by the room? Is there any other way I can cash flow this property? I went through everything I could think of, and I finally figured out a way I can make it cash flow and bring in $8,000 a month. So that is the way I got it to cash flow. And at the end of the day, after all the negotiations, we I I think I initially offered seven hundred forty thousand. So I I went pretty underneath their initial asking price. But at the end of the day, after all the negotiations, I got it for seven hundred eighty thousand with a thirty thousand dollars seller's concession. Wow! So basically seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. So one thing I want to point out, um, James Danner talked about this when he was on the podcast talking about like estimating rehab costs, but. Um, he's always trying to identify the best business plan for every property. And, you know, when he looks at a, like a, at a new project, he's like, okay, do we need to add square footage? Do we, can we just do it as is like, what do I need? What do I need to do to this property to help me get to my numbers? And that's, that's pretty much what you just said right now, where you said solutions oriented. And I think so often, uh, when rookies are looking at uh, a deal, they're just looking at it at face value. And, and they're not really understanding what are the the opportunities um, that might be, you know, that, that we might be overlooking, right? And how can we get it to the number that we need? Mm-hmm. Um, so did you, were you bouncing ideas off of anyone, Rachel, to kind of come to that conclusion? Or was it just your, your experience in real estate investing that helped you come up with this new business plan? Like, how'd you land on that? A little bit of each. I talked with Craig a lot as I was going through the process. I think just the questions of how could I make this work? what could I do to make this cash flow help you become solutions oriented? Like, how could I? What can I do? That help you take ownership of the situation and find solutions Mm -hmm. rather than just saying that's too far off. There's, you know, there's no way that's going to happen. So I think those questions are really great. And I'm also really conservative. There's a difference between forcing something to happen that's just not going to happen versus being creative and still being conservative. So even when I was estimating the rents on this, looking at the medium-term rents and the short-term rents, I was estimating each unit would take in $2,000 a month when I wasn't living there. Mm-hmm. So when you, the way I look at an analysis on a house hack is when I'm not living there, how much is it going to take in? Mm-hmm. So I was estimating $2,000 a month in rent, and that was conservative because my realtor other investor friends who I had look look at my numbers, second set of eyes, they were like, you're going to get more than that. I think you're going to get nine or $10,000. And I'm very conservative in my numbers because my goal is that in real life, my property is going to do better than what I project. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be what happens. So I projected 8000 in rent revenue. Now, where I'm at in the process of this property is the renovation's done. I'm still working on furnishing a couple of the units, but I actually did end up renting one unit just two days ago. I signed a lease. Mm-hmm. So I did one unit long-term rent. So it's unfurnished right. and I rented it for $22.50 with another like $100 in rental fees or whatever. So an unfurnished long-term tenant is going to be paying me more than what I projected for the furnished units. Right. So I think I will be closer to that nine or $10,000 a month. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so, amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Yay. Yeah. One thing I want to ask both of your opinions on is, so you're doing multiple strategies in this property. Mm-hmm. What is your take on rookie investors focusing on one strategy or getting a property like this where they're incorporating multiple strategies, which might kind of give them you know, more stability in a way because it's different income streams coming in instead of just relying on 
all long-term rentals or all short-term rentals. And I'd love to hear your take on Mm. that too. Yeah. Uh, We're going to, I think we're going to talk about Tyler and Zosha, my contractors, but they did a presentation recently for my mastermind students. And they said that they run all of their numbers using long-term rents because that's going to be the lowest rent you'll get. And typically you'll get higher rents for medium term and short term rents, but they do that to be really conservative in their numbers and it gives them flexibility to change their strategy later if they do want to bring more rent in. So I think that's a wise way to run your numbers. Uh, I had to change my strategy so many times because I don't even remember. I think the initial thing I wanted to do was do two short term rentals in this unit and one medium term rental. And then I found out like after I closed on the property that I couldn't do two short-term rentals because I had done my homework. I did all the research and everything, but I misunderstood something Mm -hmm. and I couldn't do two short-term rentals in one property because of the regulations in the city that I lived in. It was just a misunderstanding. I'm a smart person. Okay. But I messed (laughs) up. Um, Can I I just comment on that really quickly? That it's, it's very difficult sometimes to really understand the language inside some of these ordinances. Yeah. And even if you call, you might get two different answers from people that work at this county. So usually what we like to do is we'll we'll call and we'll try and talk on the phone to someone and say, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Like, give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down if this is possible. And then we'll follow with an email afterwards. So there's like a paper trail. Have it in writing. That, yeah, that way, yeah. if someone comes back to us later and says, you guys can't do this, we can say, well, no, Tony at the front desk Here's an email confirming this is what happened. And we actually, we had, like, we got into a big fight with one of the counties last year because the, they're, so the way that it works, right, is like the, the lawmakers in the county or the city are the ones that pass the ordinance or the ones that create Mm -hmm. the laws and pass the ordinances. Then they get passed down to the people at the front desk that have to enforce those ordinances. So sometimes the interpretation of the people enforcing the ordinance doesn't align with the interpretation of person that created it. So we got one of our short-term rentals shut down because the the, the per- person enforcing it, the front desk, didn't agree with our interpretation of the ordinance. So we literally had to like escalate it all the way up to the county supervisors who were basically the people that created the law and they finally like reversed our permit revocation. So oh my, my point is, is that sometimes it is hard to really understand the permits, but the more you can talk to people at the county and like get it firsthand, the easier it is to kind of follow along. That's great advice. I should have called them. And and I agree. Always call and just verify it firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the lesson I learned is just to be flexible. Yeah. Because luckily when that happened, the unit I planned on being another short-term rental, I was just like, well, I'll, be, I'll medium-term rent this. Mm-hmm. And my initial game plan is not what's now happening. Because now I'm going to have one long-term, one medium-term, and one short-term, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning all these things. Strategies. I don't know what the heck I'm doing at all. I'm t- it's overwhelming. Yeah. I'm not getting any sleep, but it's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm learning a ton, and I'm going to be soon, hopefully, an expert on all, all these different strategies. Yeah. But to answer your question too, Ash, I, I do think that there's a ton of value when you're first starting out to say, I want to get really good at this one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think what you see a lot of new investors do is that they're somewhat overwhelmed by all the different investing options that either A, they they never get started because they can't decide, do I want to flip? Do I want to wholesale? Yeah. Do I want a medium term, short term, long term? Um, or B, they never get really good at any one thing because they've tried so many different strategies. So what's the saying? It's like, is why do, why does an ocean but deep as a puddle, right? So they, they have all this like surface level information, but they don't have this really strong understanding. So I'd say for most people, maybe if you want to dabble to understand which strategy do I like the most, 
But once you've tried them, like I would say there's a lot of value in going deep into one of them. And I think too, it's if you're going to do the house hack model Mm -hmm. where you're living in it and okay, that's a great way to dabble Mm -hmm. in these strategies. And then it's like, okay, as you continue buying, like I love the short rental model, I'm going to continue to do this Mm -hmm. instead of like continuing buying different four, six units. (laughs) Right. Doing, doing different things inside. (laughs) But just one thing I want to add to, because, um, you know, I, I I think that your your strategy, Rachel, of, uh, and what Tyler and Zosha said to you of like, hey, I'm I'm always going to underwrite this as a long term rental. It makes sense in a in a in a metro market, right? If you're in Denver or a suburban market, it makes sense to do it there. But like for me and the markets that I invest in, none of my properties would make sense as a long term rental. They just wouldn't. Like we would get a fraction. We probably wouldn't even cover the mortgage in some markets if we tried to long term rent those properties. But we took that risk because we know that. Um, to to operate in a true vacation destination, like that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think your your risk tolerance is, you know, you got to kind of have a little bit of that depending on what market you're going into. But if you are in a suburban or or an urban setting, I do think having that long term rental is your your kind of plan B is a smart thing to do. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the actual final numbers of this, I guess um, with your management of it. I want to talk about how you are managing all three of these different strategies. Uh, Tyler and Zosha also helped me set up my medium term rental. And it was surprisingly a lot different than I thought it would be between it was like a mix of long term and short term rental of like, here's the things to implement. So are you managing all three on your own? Have you hired any property managers and maybe a glimpse into what kinds of different softwares are you using? Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the bigger pocket 
Rapids Bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Yeah, so Tyler and Zosha Madden are real estate investors in Denver, um, and they're general contractors, and they do a lot, and they're very loved and respected and well-known in the community of Denver. And the story with them is I knew Tyler and Zosha before at some networking events and I was friends with Zosha. And I came back to Denver for a month in February, mainly to just do the closing on the property, although I didn't even need to be here for that. But I needed a place to stay in February and they had just finished one of their medium term fourplexes that they were renovating, furnishing, and renting out. And I needed a place to stay for a month. And one of their units was available. So I was like, can I rent that from you? So they were my landlords. And then I was interviewing contractors and I interviewed them and I decided to hire them to be my contractors on my property. And then I was like, okay, we're doing a lot of business together. (laughs) So I really hope we're friends at the end of all of this. (laughs) Luckily, we still are. To this day, we're friends because we're past the renovations months later. We just hung out the other day. So thank God for that. (laughs) Everything went well. Um, But they did a fantastic job on my renovation. And what was the original question that went off track? Uh, As far as how you're managing the three different strategies. Oh, so like, you know how they're set up differently, or maybe you have it all set up the same, the same software. Yeah. And I think this is kind of one of my mistakes because Zosha has a really good eye for interior design, just on the design aspect of it. Um, I don't. Okay. This is not one of my strengths. I cannot envision a room and make it pretty. Like I can recognize when a room is pretty. Mm -hmm. I can't create it though. Mm -hmm. 
And Zosha's really good at this. So even during the renovation process, the reno- the contracting team would be like, do you want this finish or this finish? And I would be like, Zosha, um, <laughs> what do you think? And she just ended up making all the decisions yeah. for me. And it looks beautiful. Um, I should have definitely hired Zosha or hired an interior designer to help me with my short and medium term rentals because I've spent hours FaceTiming my mom who's good at this Mm -hmm. and asking like Alex Hughes on the Bigger Pockets team because she's good at it and Zosha's helped me a little bit. It's just been an absolute nightmare. So I think one thing is to know your strengths and know your weaknesses. Delegate your weaknesses to somebody who's good at it because I have probably cost myself more in time by taking too long to figure this out for myself. And that's a big mistake. Um, But yeah, learning all this stuff. I haven't launched my Airbnb yet. And I don't even know what I don't know and what I'm about to get into in terms of the pricing and the listing and managing the tenants and the lot codes and giving them the directions and all that stuff. I'm about to learn that. So I'm going to definitely hire somebody or have my investor friends who are good at this, like, help me with something and then I'll help them with something. Yeah. The medium term thing, I'm on Furnish Finder, don't know what I'm, I'm just making it up as I go. <laughs> yeah. Like you're at, you're asking me questions. I am a rookie, truly. I am making it up as I go and figuring it out. And I think it's all going to come together. That was me with medium term rentals. I literally threw it up on Furnish Finder and within like five days, someone's like, okay, I want to rent it. Here's my information. Like I'm good to go. And I was like, what do I, I don't know what, to do <laughs> yeah, what, what happens now? <laughs> So that's where I called Tyler. Those shows like, yeah, uh, I need to know what do I do? I call people yeah. 500 times a day. Yeah. I mean, I went ahead and listed it on Furnished Finder and it hadn't even been furnished yet. But I was like, let's at least get it listed. And yeah. I'll just say, hey, the furniture is not there. So here's how it looks empty. Yeah. Um, but this is where you guys, it's so important to have a network, as you know. And if you don't feel like you have a network, then join your local real estate investors association or your Facebook groups or go to meetups because it is so important in moments like this to have people you can call and be like, hey, what did you do for this? Or this person wants to rent from me. Like, what's the next step? Should I send them this background check and credit check? Yes. Um, what's the next step? What do I do now? And it's just really nice to have three or four or five people who know a little bit more than you do that you can call and rely on. Yeah. It's so I, I just want to tie that back into what we talked about earlier about, you know, you you having this experience, but you feeling like a rookie coming into this. Like Ash, you said the same thing. Like you, you know, burying and long-term rentals in Buffalo, mm-hmm. you know, like the back of your hand. But when you wanted to do your first big renovation, you partnered with someone in a completely different state, right? That yeah. that really knew that market. When you wanted to get into this this new asset class or, or take on a bigger renovation, you partnered with people who who kind of knew that that path to go. So for our rookies that are listening, I'm, I'm just echoing what you said. Like your ability to tap into your network is one of the I don't know, one of the most valuable things you can do. And luckily for everyone listening, like the rookie community is so incredibly strong. Like Ash and I always joke, like we almost never have to post in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group because every time someone posts, there's like a thousand good responses that are just like amazing. So for our rookies that are listening, if you're looking for that community, if you feel like you're you're by yourself, you're on this island, just get 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 connected, get get active. Just post an introductory post. Hey, my name's Tony. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm stuck with. And I guarantee people will like reach out and, and give you some support. Or you could end up on a rookie reply on our Yeah, or you or you end up on a rookie reply. <laughs> By the way, head to biggerpockets.com forward slash reply, get your questions in so we can get them answered. Okay. Do you want to find share like kind of your projection for the final numbers? And also I'm curious on to um 
how you finance this property and how what your expenses are for the property. Yeah, we can get into the numbers for sure. So again, bought it for 780K with a $30,000 seller's concession. Since I house hacked it, I was able to put 15% down. And I was really fortunate because I had already amassed a really big real estate portfolio. I had a lot of financial success with my business. And I've shared very publicly my income and my net worth on my Instagram. So at this point, I have built myself to to be a millionaire and I have a net worth of over a million. And that's even like post-divorce by myself hit that number. Yay. So <laughs> yeah, that was exciting. Awesome. Thank you. So um, so I was fortunate to have a lot of money in savings. And I had had this cash sitting there that I wanted to invest in real estate. And I hated having this money in ca- like just in a savings account during all these recent years where inflation was so high. So I was so eager to get this invested. But I did have the money there in savings where I was able to put the money into a down payment and and to cover my own renovation. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. Now, had I not done that, I would have looked into seller financing, finding a silent partner, hard money lender, uh, private money. There's all these really creative ways you can get financing and you can partner up with people if you don't have the money yourself. So I realized I was in a fortunate position to do that. And for my next property, since everything's depleted now, if I, <laughs> if I want to buy more property, those are the kinds of things that I'll do. But for this, I was lucky to have that. So let me ask, you, you said 15% down. Did you explore like in, you know, three and a half percent FHA type loan? Like what made you go with the 15%? Um, you have to have at least 15% down to have a Fannie Mae loan on a multifamily property. Gotcha. Yeah. So because I, I was thinking I didn't have to put that much down. But then when I, the more I looked into it. The more I realized you have to have at least 15% down mm. unless there's something else I'm missing. But that was another thing that I was like, oh, I'm going to have to put more down on this property than I thought. Yeah. So. Have you heard of NACA? No. Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America. So Nancy Rodriguez, she was a guest. She used NACA and one of our other guests used it as well. But um, you can use it on uh, residential properties that, that you live in. So it has to be owner occupied. They go up to four units, but it's a uh, 0% down um, and no closing cost. So like you're most people are able to get in like I think Nancy said she got a check at closing for like five grand because she got a, a seller credit also. So just as you're looking for your next uh, your next house act maybe here in Denver, look up oh, that. That's cool. I will. Yeah. yeah thanks for the rec. Yeah. Um, in terms of the other numbers, I'm projecting revenue of eight k a month, but I think it might be end up being more than that. Mm-hmm. And my profit after all of the mortgage, all of the expenses are in, taken out, will be about eighteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah. But again, I think it might end up being a little bit more than that. We'll see. And that's, yeah, that's with you living. Um, that's with me. I think that's with me not living in it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. And I will be only living in this property five or six months out of the year because I travel so much. Yeah. So, so are you going to short term rent it while you're yeah. gone? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So I'll spend um, six months in Denver in the summers. Mm-hmm. And then I, I chase the sun. I chase the warmth. So I go to <laughs> South America in the winters typically. Yeah. Um, so I will be getting that cash flow a good part of the year. And I think it'll be higher than that. And then my cash on cash ROI, I think I'm projecting right now 5.6%. Yeah. But we'll see how the numbers actually play out. I do think it could be more than that. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. And what about appreciation for your area too? So I don't account for appreciation in my numbers. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of potential for appreciation. The reason I don't account for appreciation is because I don't think it can always happen as we saw in 2007 and 2008. I'm also used to investing in Kentucky, which is not a market known for appreciation. I know that's a big thing in Denver. I just always think you make money when you buy, not when you sell. And I think it's a really risky thing to buy a property 
on the basis of I'll make money if it appreciates. Mm -hmm. So I always make sure that I'm going to make money based on cash flow and nothing else. Mm -hmm. So all these numbers that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. they don't take into account appreciation. They don't take it into account even tax benefits. Mm -hmm. This is strictly a cash flow. These, these are just cash flow yeah. numbers. I don't know the answer to this. So maybe you guys can educate me. But um, if you're doing multifamily, can you cost seg multifamily if you're yes. if you're house hacking? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Fun story okay. on that. Um, I've been wanting to do a cost segregation study on this property ever since I bought it because not only the price of the property, but mm -hmm. the renovation I did mm -hmm. should be really effective for me for a cost segregation study. Mm -hmm. Do you all know Yona Weiss? Yeah. Okay. So he's like the cost segregation guy, right? Yeah. He did a giveaway two weeks ago, maybe. He was like, I'm giving away a cost segregation study. And you guys know how much these cost, right? Like yeah. five grand or something right. or 10 grand. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. So I entered the giveaway. And then last week, he announced the winner. Guess Money, what? Money, honey, Rachel. I was like, shut <laughs> up. I could not believe it. It's yeah. good karma coming my way. So I want to cost segregation. That's but. beautiful. Yeah. I was so excited. So we'll have to have you back on to share that experience. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I can't believe it. So I will be doing a cost segregation study. That's awesome. That's good to know. See, I, I wasn't sure because I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you can't do a cost seg on like your single family house that you live in. But I thought maybe if it's multifamily, and since it's also an investment that, that you can do that. So that's cool. That's yeah. good to know. Another yeah. reason that house hacks on small multifamily are so powerful. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So you can you know, like, a, yeah, that's so crazy. Cause like you can get in for like a, a lower down payment, better interest rate, and you can cost seg if you're doing multifamily. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, another cool thing to share on this property is the interest rate thing. Cause ever it's really, it is harder to buy a property right now with interest rates being high. Mm -hmm. And I think my interest rate on this property was 6.75% or something mm -hmm. like that. I ended up doing it. it a lot of people thought about doing a buy down mm. on the interest rate. But at the time, I was like, I don't want to spend all this money on a buy down when you could Sorry, potentially you explain what a buy down is really quick. Yeah. A buy down is when you pay money up front, you pay points to buy down the interest rate on the mortgage. Mm. So you might pay thousands of dollars up front, but then your interest rate's going to be lower. Mm. So my thought was, I don't want to do that if potentially interest rates might go down in a few years anyway, and then I could just refinance at that mm -hmm. time. So what I did, and Mike Stone was my lender. I don't know if you all know Mike Stone. He's a great um, popular lender that a lot of people use here in Denver. He ended up proposing something to me called a temporary 2-1 buy-down. And the way this works is it's it still costs money up front. And I think the amount, the total cost of this was... $25,000 or something. But if I choose to refinance within this two-year period, because it's only a buy-down for two years, so it buys down my interest rate just for 24 months. But if I refinance within the two-year period, I get that 20, like any part of that $25,000 that wasn't used, I get mm -hmm. sort of refunded back those points that weren't used, oh, prorated. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I don't see any downside to this because- Either I'll use the whole buy down for the two year period mm -hmm. and it helps me. Or if I refinance in six months or a year, I'm going to get some of that $25,000 back that was spent. And that's what that $30,000 seller's concession went towards. Oh, so the sellers okay. paid for it, yeah. not me. And then if I do it anyways, then I get that money back. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really good solution right now for people who are trying to get that interest rate down a little bit, but still might refinance in the next couple of years. So after that two years, do you know what your interest rate goes to? That's 6.75%. Okay. Okay. Oh, so, so you're at a 4.75 right now. It's I don't know exactly what it is. 
Um, I don't I don't remember what we bought it down to because I don't remember the numbers, but something around that. Wow. My mortgage payment is like thirty nine hundred dollars right now. That's pretty. And then it goes up a little bit after year one and then up to the full amount after year two. And then it's for 30 years. Yeah. Then it's at the full amount for 30 years. But it gives me a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really good solution. Um, But I just want to throw that out there because I thought of it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Daryl actually just bought a primary residence, but he did a seven-one arm. Oh, so mm-hmm. for seven years, it's fixed, mm-hmm. and you get it for five point one two five percent, which is wow. pretty good. So within the seven years, basically, he has to refinance, or else it can go up to like nine percent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or yeah. It's, it's, I think it's like the floor is four percent. And the highest is nine percent. Oh, but there is a there is a cap. That's yes, yeah, oh, yes, that's cool. At least there's a cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's another good option. Um, I think you asked about renovation budget too. Yeah. yeah. So how did so, renovation work? What did you budget yeah. it for? What did it end up being? I made so many mistakes. I think we've talked about three or four huge mistakes already that I've made. <laughs> this is another big mistake I made. And it was just about the renovation budget for the, I, I wouldn't really consider it a mistake. Anyways, the renovation budget that was approved with Zosha and Tyler was 180K. One thing I'm happy that I did is hiring Zosha and Tyler because they were not the cheapest contractor. But on my real estate episode, uh, I talked about how you should not hire the cheapest person because I've made that mistake too many times and it can end up costing you a lot more in the long run. So I definitely got cheaper quotes for this renovation and I got more expensive quotes. And I knew that Tyler and Zosha were reputable contractors, licensed I trusted them. I knew that they were going to do what they said they were going to do and they were going to do it on time. Whereas these other contractors that were cheaper, I just didn't know how that experience was going to be. So that's why I decided to hire Tyler and Zosha. Best decision I ever made. It was literally the best contracting experience I've ever had in my seven-year career as a real estate investor. Everything was on time. There were no surprises with with them as contractors. They did all the right things. It was just fabulous. I can't say enough good things about How them. How much so. um, credit did they give you to say this today? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're going to review a check later. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you have an affiliate like that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so they were incredible. So it was 180K. Now, in my projections and in my analysis, I budgeted for $220,000 for the renovation mm. because my rule of thumb is whatever the contractor gives you, you always put a 20 to 25% buffer on top of that. Mm -hmm. So I put another 40K on top of that, which is about 20 to 25% because you just don't ever know. And my actual costs are going to be right at about 220K. So that whole, yeah. So that whole buffer is definitely getting taken up. And it's not because of anything they did. Mm -hmm. It's just because of things that came up that I didn't know about. So for example, I decided to put in a privacy fence around the whole duplex that divided the yard in half. That was $10,000. Also, and this wasn't, I don't really know whose fault this was. It's not necessarily anybody's fault. But I didn't realize until after I bought the property and about two months into the renovation that this property did not have AC. Hmm. And I don't know how that happened. Isn't it funny, like the simple things you miss just because you almost kind of expect Mm. it? Yeah. And it's not not like uncommon in Denver for a property to not have AC, but it's definitely not common at this point. And the inspector didn't flag it for me. And it's not that it's a it's not like it was something that wasn't functioning, but I would have still expected the inspector to say, hey, by the way. Yeah. There's no HVAC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a furnace. There was uh, okay. there was heat. 
um, but no AC. So I didn't know, closed on the property, and then even into the renovations, didn't know, because maybe Tyler and Zosha already thought that I knew, honestly. So then I'm there moving in, and it's really hot, and I turn on the AC, and there's nothing. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) I don't have AC, and I need... I'm I'm a girl who needs AC. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it gets hot here in the summer. So that's twenty two thousand dollars that I'm like, we need to do this. And then the the other decision I made, which I'm really glad I made this decision, is I added in egress windows into the basement units. Yeah. The decision and so egress window is a window that you add into a, a basement bedroom to make sure, first of all, it makes the bedroom a conforming bedroom so that when you sell the property, you can actually say, hey, this is a actual bedroom of this house because a bedroom has to have windows of the right size and it has to have a closet to actually count as a bedroom. Otherwise, it's just an office or just an extra room. That's not the reason I wanted the egress window. I wanted my tenants in the basement to have two fire escapes. So for me, it was just a liability uh, reason. So they obviously already had the stairs to escape to the outside, but I wanted to make sure there was at least one other legal conforming exit in case of fire. So I made sure there was at least one egress window in each basement unit. And that wasn't something I originally planned for in the renovation, but I later added in and I'm really glad I did that. Well, we're currently slumming it in Tyler and Zosha's super nice basement and yeah. stayed their egress windows really it's high really nice. a ladder. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's the right way. Well, I don't have a ladder. I need a ladder. But I, I want to ask, so you, you said it was like 220-ish for the rehab. So were you able to fund any of that through your loan or was it all out of pocket for the rehab? It was all out of pocket. I didn't look, and that's another solution. I didn't look at rolling the renovation costs into the loan, but that's something you can definitely do. And do you think um, from like an, an equity standpoint, have you built equity in the property at all? Like, what do you think it, it would appraise for if you did that today? Yeah, for sure. And that's hard to tell. Um, I did not buy this property as a Burr property. Mm-hmm. That really wasn't my intention. Now I'm thinking I might do that mm-hmm. um, just in case I need the cash. I want to invest more. Mm-hmm. At this point, I could probably pull out two or 300 grand mm-hmm. in equity if I do a cash out refinance. Gotcha. I think it would appraise for at least a million dollars. That's my amazing. Point. I mean, yeah. Yeah. so we'll see. And I might do that in the next year or year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some time, but right now I have like a tiny bit of money left. So yeah. we'll see how long. <laughs> you got to see, see what happens, right? <laughs> I've just been like, here, syndication investment, yeah. writing checks. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never spent so much money so quickly. But this is the Denver market for you. Yeah. So yeah. Well, well I think a big difference too is investment versus just spending money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, my bank account. <laughs> Scary. Well, thank you so much for sharing the numbers and uh, the story of, you know, lessons learned and also the success of this uh, first house hack for you. And congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you it. You want to go to our rookie exam? Yeah, let's hit it. So our first question for you is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do today after listening to this episode? Okay, I have two pieces of advice yeah. and a cheat. Yeah, let's go. Two. <laughs> okay, number one is we talked a little bit about this earlier and just kind of taking action. And one thing I tell my students when they're stuck on the analysis paralysis, because I think that's one of the hardest things when you're new to investing, is there's all these strategies and there's all these markets. And it's like, where do I begin? How do I move forward? And I think the hard part about analysis paralysis is you have this fear of if I pick one thing, but what if there's something better? You know, if I go in this market, but what if this other market's a lot better? 
So I always tell people, just because you pick one thing doesn't mean you're necessarily saying no to something else. It's just that you're saying later to something else, right? You can invest in Cleveland, Ohio, if that's where you want to invest. And if you're really torn between Cleveland, Ohio and Memphis, Tennessee, just do Memphis later. So it it doesn't necessarily mean you have to say no to all these other exciting options that are out there for you. Just do that one later. But the important thing to do is to pick a strategy and stick to it. Otherwise, you are going to be stuck forever. So that's my biggest advice on analysis paralysis. And the other piece of advice is that it is okay to take imperfect action. This whole time, I've just been going with it and making things up as I go. (laughs) And I hope that's the takeaway is that none of this has gone the way I predicted. I have had to change my strategy and learn this entire time that I've done this duplex house hack into a quad. And I remember um, calling Craig, my realtor, in February before I closed on my property and having so much fear. And I second-guessed myself for weeks and weeks as I was about to close on this property. And I remember calling him and saying, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You know, who do I think I am buying an $800,000 house? I've never done this before. Is this really a good idea? Should I do this? And Craig's like a really good person. He has a lot of integrity and he's my close friend too. So he would never talk me into doing something that was stupid. And he was like, Rachel, it's going to be okay. Like this is a really good investment property. And I know it feels scary now, but in 10 years from now, like this is going to be one of the best things you ever did for yourself. And he talked me off the ledge as a good friend does. And I was like, okay, it's going to be fine. And I knew logically, I had run the numbers. I knew logically this was a good decision. It's just that I had this emotional turmoil and this fear inside of me. It's the mindset. And that's what holds so many people up from actually taking action. Exactly. And I felt so vulnerable. Um, doing this for the first time alone and this big property and all this stuff that I had never done before. And I think I realized in that moment that every investor has that fear. No matter how experienced you are, no matter how many rental properties I had bought before, I had so many of those moments where I was like, this is really scary and I don't think I should do this. But what separates successful investors from people who can't quite get there, it's not that they don't have fear, it's that they take action despite the fear that they have. Mm. It's that they decide, you know what, this is scary, but I'm going to move forward even though this is the way I feel. Because logic, I've done my homework. Logically, I know this is going to be okay and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. So that is my best advice. I I love hearing that about like moving forward in spite of the fear Mm -hmm. and like this framework that I have for myself. And I like read it in like a personal development book or blog or something a while ago, but it's like, you, you can think of your life in like three circles. That first circle is your comfort zone. That's where you know everything. You, you feel good there. You can do it in your sleep, right? Outside of your comfort zone is your growth zone. And that's where you're, you're pushing beyond, just beyond what you're currently capable of doing. And that's where you learn new skills. That's where you develop new abilities. And then beyond your growth zone is the danger zone. And that's when you've overextended yourself and, and you're getting into maybe actions that are reckless or that could have potential negative impacts. And so many people struggle to differentiate between those three circles. And what they're doing is stepping into the growth zone, but because of this fear, they think they're in the danger zone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you, you got to be able to, to frame things in the right way. Like, is this, is this the next logical step for me to take based on everything I've done so far? And if the answer is yes, just because you haven't done it before, doesn't mean you're not capable of doing it. Right. So just I, I, everyone that's listening, think, ask yourself that question. Am I 
Am I moving into my growth zone or, or am I moving into my danger zone? And a lot of that's kind of help you guide your decisions. That's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. Where did you, uh, was that a book? I don't even remember. Oh, I like, I find that. I, yeah, I read it like a long time ago and it just stuck with me. That's really cool. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm promised I'm not taking credit if this is your idea. <laughs> I just don't remember where I have. Tony dreamed it one day. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> really completely cool. original idea. <laughs> All right. Um, question number two. So what's one software app tool uh, or system that you use in your business? Definitely TaskRabbit has been my saving grace. Hmm. Uh, my mom, I flew my mom out in April when I first moved into this duplex to help me just furnish my unit and get moved in. So we made an Ikea trip. We were putting together an Ikea bed. I don't know if you all have put together Ikea furniture. It's the worst. It is the worst thing yeah. I've ever done. I had hair my before life. my first Ikea bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I posted this story on my IG of me just frustrated trying to put this bed together. And it was like, I have been worked safe from putting together Ikea furniture, <laughs> but I did it. I, we could not get the bed together. It took us two hours and I gave up and they were like, hire someone from TaskRabbit. And I was like, oh yeah, I've never used it before, but I should. And so I have my TaskRabbit guy, Josh. Um, I will pay him any amount of money. Okay. He is so good. Yeah. Like take my money. Yeah. His rate's $47 an hour. And I know that sounds like a lot, but he's worth every penny. So if Josh is listening, I'll pay you more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've probably at this point paid him $1,200 total because he's come over three or four times and put together like, I don't know, 12 or 15 pieces of furniture now. But this is where it goes back to delegating my time. I can do things that generate more revenue than that in an hour mm -hmm. and it's better it's also just peace of mind mm -hmm. i don't need to cry more than i've already cried <laughs> i've cried over lampshades sure. i've cried over refrigerators so we we need less of that and more of josh doing my furniture assembly yeah. so task has been my saving grace and that is such a big thing of looking at how much time to pay someone versus what you can make in that same amount of time right um i think one of the easiest ways for me to like find that value is like somebody cleaning my house. They can do it so much faster than I can do it and so much better. Mm -hmm. And what they're paid an hour, I can make more money actually working during the, that time frame. Exactly. Or yeah. I'd rather just go on a hike. And that's, yeah. Worth, yeah. that's yeah. worth my money yeah. spent too. Or just my do time. nothing, right? It, yeah. It's just a sit and stare at the wall. Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's worth it. Okay, so our last question is, where do you plan on being in five years? Um, I love my life and I feel really grateful to have gotten to a point and designed a life that I don't know if I see it changing that much. I mean, I feel really fortunate to have a good work-life balance, except for the last three weeks I've been working on this property nonstop. Not very passive right now. I talk about stages of passive income. Stage one is where you're building the passive income stream and it's 100% active. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at. So if you ever hear people talking about real estate being passive, it can be a lot more hands-off in the long run, but it's never 100% passive, even with a property manager. So keep that in mind. Um, I know I'm going off on a tangent now, but ultimately I do really like the life that I have. I can go hiking during the week and I travel a ton and I go to South America in the winters and I have a lot of freedom. So I don't know if I see it changing a lot. I just like to travel and hike and go to the gym. And I think maybe I'll find my my life partner in the next five years. That would be really nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's for, and just help more people with real estate investing and- You're enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, I mean- so Let me, let me ask them because I, I love that answer because something something that I struggle with is like this, 
insatiable ambition where like, I just want to keep growing and building and faster and more. And, you know, and I think there's, there's good to that, but it's also like, why, you know, like, why do you want to keep doing that? And I can't even really answer that question. So like, how do you balance, I've built this lifestyle that I really enjoy with the ambition for more. Mm -hmm. I actually, that's a really interesting question, Tony, because I've recognized in recent years that I'll go through these phases of extreme like rest and non-productivity and then these phases where I'm like on top of it and I'm doing stuff and workaholic Mm -hmm. mode Mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily want that. I want to be more balanced overall, but I've talked to my business coach and my therapist a lot about where that comes from Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is because growing up, my parents did not have a lot of money. And so I grew up in this environment where money was stressful. We didn't have a lot. And that's where my drive to achieve financial independence came from. But I also grew up when I was really young, they did have a lot and then it all got taken away. Mm -hmm. And that's where the money stress started coming from. So I also learned you can be comfortable financially and it can all be taken away. Mm -hmm. So I'll go through these phases where I'm like, okay, I have to work, I have to work, I have to hustle. And then I'll feel comfortable for a moment and I'll take my foot off the brake. But then I'll remember, oh my gosh, this could all be taken from me and I'll go into work mode again. Mm -hmm. So I'm working through that um, to to try to balance it out. But I think one of the interesting things is how are what we're doing right now, how does that relate to things that happened 20 or 30 years ago? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of our motivation or demotivation is tied to like our childhood and what shaped us growing up. So to me, I mean, that's what I'm working on and that's that's where it comes from for me. So that's that's just my personal experience. I don't yeah. know if that helps. No, it's I mean, interesting. It, it is, yeah. And I feel like I resonate with that too because like same thing happened. Like my my dad was like a, like a general manager and he ended up losing his job. Company went bankrupt. Like literally he walked into work one day and they're like, hey, this is the last day that you're going to be here. And like it, it caused financial strife in my, my parents' life as well. And then, you know, becoming a dad at 16, like all these different things around like, money and finances. I think I have this this fear around like not having enough also. And I think it's it's helpful in some instances, but I also know that ambition can be a bad thing if you don't tame it, you know, and you don't use it the right way. So I always try and strike that balance also. Yeah. I think I think a lot of us who are this hustler, ambitious, mm-hmm. have achieved financial independence or are close to it, we're still in this survival mode mm-hmm. that from a long time ago. Right. And it's working on, okay, we have we have enough. It's okay to slow down and just right. enjoy. Enjoy, and that's right. taken me a long time. I'm a lot better at it now than I used to be, but it mm-hmm. still can be really hard. Yeah. I think the hard part is not slowing down too much, where you get too mm-hmm. comfortable, and it's like finding the right. happy medium. I'm not. Yeah, that's ongoing struggle for me yeah. for yeah. sure. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay, well, uh, let's give a big shout out to our rookie rock star this week, Robert Majak. Uh, this is his first project that he has uh, completed and it took him over 17 months. He bought an off-market deal, a two unit for 660,000 and did an extensive rehab for both units. A lot of stuff went wrong, including delays with permits, but so much also went right. Uh, 13 months and about 4,000 hours of his time later and both are rented. He is living in the third unit that he completed uh, VA cash out refinance and the property appraised at 1.4 million. Wow, congratulations. Awesome, yeah. Congratulations, Robert. And if you guys want to share your uh, rookie rock star win or 
even a lesson learned. We love those two to share. You can post in the Real Estate Repeat Facebook group and or send a DM to Tony or I on Instagram. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us in person here in Denver today. We really appreciate it. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information? Yes, thank you both. This has been super fun. I appreciate it. Uh, my Instagram is MoneyHoneyRachel, and both of my books are on Amazon, Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. And I would love to share with you all my Passive Income Starter Kit for free. So if you would like to download that, you can go to MoneyHoneyRachel.com forward slash Passive Income. We love free stuff here. So you guys go and check that out. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony at Tony G. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back again on Wednesday with a guest. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.